Today we'll discuss the benefits of a thing called Atamayeta. This this thing is strange to your ears. You don't know yet what it is. So please listen carefully and pay pay good attention so that you will learn what what this thing is about. When we know this thing, laughter and and crying won't be able to affect us. Laughter is something that we can do if it's necessary, but generally it's just a kind of lunacy. Crying is something we could do if we need to, but usually it's just a play or a show. These things need not disturb or touch the mind. They in themselves have their own conditions, their own causes. If we understand their causes, these actions, these activities can be produced. But still they need not concern the mind itself. So we should understand the causes of these these actions. Both laughter and crying are actions that depend on their own particular causes. The same is true with, with happiness and suffering. Happiness and suffering arise due to certain conditions, and without those conditions they don't occur. So we can't just make ourselves laugh or cry, be happy or suffer by forcing ourselves. Instead, we have to bring about the proper conditions for these things. And therefore, it's necessary to understand the causes and conditions of of such things. For the, the common person, in certain situations, they can't help but laugh. They just laugh without being able to control themselves. And in other situations, they can't help but cry. The crying just happens without their ability to control. The ordinary person laughs and cries without any self-restraint. This is because they aren't able to endure the conditions which lead to laughter and crying. So when these conditions come about, they, they react without, without controlling themselves. But if we can retrain, restrain ourselves so that in laughable situations we refrain from laughing and in, in crying situations we refrain from crying, if we can endure these conditions, if we can live through these conditions with this kind of restraint and you understand what we mean here, then you'll know the meaning of the word atamayata or you'll understand the benefit of atamayata. For the common person, when a certain kind of sense object comes by, they automatically laugh. And when another kind of object comes by, they automatically cry. These conditions 
automatically stir up, or naturally for them, stir up crying and laughter. And there's nothing we can do to help such people. But if we understand these causes and conditions of laughter and crying, and if we're able to control the mind so it doesn't blindly react to these conditions, so that it isn't affected by these conditions, then the mind won't, won't have to suffer through these conditions. This mind won't need to laugh or cry. Instead, it will be cool, calm, and clear. This is a benefit that comes from under... This is the kind of knowledge we need to have. We need to have this kind of knowledge and then learn how to use it. If we have this correct sort of knowledge, then we'll be able to, to live through life without being, being affected or, or confused or disturbed by all these various conditions. To understand what we're talking about, you need to know the, the Pali word Pajaya, Pajaya, or in Thai, Bajai. We can usually translate it as condition. Pajaya, Pajaya means a condition or a factor that leads to, that, that causes the occurrence of another thing. A Pajaya is one thing which causes the occurrence or the arising of another thing. There are two basic kinds of pajaya. The, one is the external kinds, the pajaya that are associated with the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and body sense. And then there's the internal kind of pajaya. The external kind of conditions can concoct the mind. They can stir up the mind, cook up the mind. And with the internal conditions, such as craving, attachment, conceit, egoism, selfishness, and ignorance or, and defilement, these internal conditions go along with those external conditions to cook up, cook up the mind, concoct the mind, stir up the mind. If we're able to control these pachaya, or actually to control the mind so that the pachaya aren't able to stir it up and concoct it, then, then this, in knowing that, in knowing how to do that, we will know what atamayata is. This no longer being cooked up and stirred up by, by conditions external and internal. This is the meaning of atamayata. So the meaning of the word atamayata is the kind of knowledge where we, the mind won't be concocted by any more pajaya ever again. Atamayata is the knowledge that to not, not be concocted, not be conditioned, not be cooked up, 
by that vajaya, that condition, ever again. When the mind has this knowledge that will protect it in this way, then the mind knows atamayata. Think about this, what, what kind of benefits there are in this knowledge of atamayata. The ordinary life of just about everyone, even if we've even if we've studied at university, is a life that has no knowledge, no understanding of Adamayada. And so these ordinary common lives that don't know about Adamayada are always ready, are always able to be stirred up, to be concocted by any condition that comes by. This is the the result of not understanding atamayata. Even more weird than this is that not only does modern education lack the knowledge of atamayata, in fact, because of modern education, there's more concocting, conditioning, and cooking up of the mind than ever before. Not only is Adamayada lacked, but its opposite is increasing. And for this reason, because there's no Adamayada and more and more of its opposite, there is much more, more suffering and pain in people's lives. People are, minds are always being concocted in all kinds of strange and fascinating ways. And so if this continues, there's, there's no way that people will be able to find peace through modern education. So now what we'd like to do is consider and discriminate between various kinds of concocting and then the various results of these different kinds of concocting. We don't think that this will be at all a waste of time to consider these, these various items. For example, love. What kind, of, what kind of complications and troubles does it stir up for the mind? And then all the different kinds of anger. What are the myriad problems and troubles that this creates for the mind. Hatred in its various forms, what kind of, how much trouble and pain does it cause for the mind? And then fear, whether the really stupid fear that's got, that has no reason, or even the ordinary fear, what, what sort of problems and difficulties does this due to the mind. And then excitement, which is really funny how much people are interested in getting excited. They like to go watch sports and football and all kinds of things just to get excited. How much difficulty and, and trouble does this, does excitement make for the mind? And then worries about things that haven't come yet. How much does this disturb the mind? 
and then longing for things, reminiscing about things that have passed away, laying, laying sleepless at night, crying about the things that we have lost. What kind of pain and suffering does this bring to the mind? And then what about envy? All the problems that are created because so many people are envious of others. All the trouble and strife and conflict that's caused by, by envy. What kind of hassles does this bring? And then ordinary possessiveness and worrying about things that we, that we possess. And then that particular kind of jealous possessiveness like married people feel towards their spouses. What kind of trouble and conflict does this cause in the heart? And if we think back over all these examples that we've just listed and all the troubles that each of them cause, all the disturbances and hassles they make for the heart and mind, if we were free of all of these things and their effects, then what kind of peacefulness, how much calmness and tranquility would there be in the heart? The thing that in various religions is called salvation, in Buddhism, the meaning of this word salvation is very simple. It means to be free from, to be saved from the torment of all these things that we have just mentioned. The kind of knowledge and cleverness that we gain through modern education isn't able to control or restrain these, these various things which trouble the mind. Not only that, modern education often makes us clever and skillful in ways that increase the damage that is done by these, these various things. We learn very clever ways of thinking, and then we think on and on and on, which stir up all these various concoctions of the mind. And so instead of living with just a bit of suffering, we live with a lot of suffering because we're, we're so clever, we're so, so highly educated. And what about being wealthy, being rich? being successful in our work in accumulating wealth so that now most of us are relatively rich, especially compared to the past. And all these riches, what good do they do us? Do they help us to control all these harmful concoctions? Do they help us to get free of suffering? It's impossible that all our wealth, that our, our riches, will be able to save us from the, in, the pain and misery we inflict on ourselves with these various concoctions and their effects. You might think that if we're, we're rich, then we can buy whatever we want. But where are you going to buy the means to quench dukkha? Where are you going to buy the knowledge that will allow you to free yourself from dukkha. In fact, all this wealth just creates more and more craving, more thirst and more hunger, which creates more and more dukkha in its wake. And all this wealth 
doesn't give us the means to free ourselves from that, that suffering. It just creates and increases it. So to pin our hopes on wealth, on riches, is a very foolish proposition. And then this, what about this thing called civilization, which for, for the world nowadays means merely material progress, material development. This so-called civilization, which is only concerned with increasing material pachaya. Where, where can you find that it really helps to eliminate suffering? All this material progress, where can you find it actually ending suffering? If you actually look at it honestly, which should be very easy for all of you since you, you come from Europe and America and the, so, the so-called civilized countries, it should be very easy for you to see if it's actually eliminating or quenching any suffering or if, in, in fact, it's merely causing more and more problems more and more misery, more and more pain for within our hearts and minds. This, this emphasis, this blind attachment to material progress and at the same time ignoring the mind and the heart. Take a good look at it and see if you can actually find it doing anything besides causing more problems, more trouble. For our minds. Back in the days when there wasn't all this civilization and progress, people used to kill each other quite a bit. Nowadays that we've got civilization, people are killing themselves quite a bit. You ought to think about this one. Back when there wasn't much civilization, there weren't many problems. There were problems, but people could find a way out, could find a way of dealing with the problems. But now that we're civilized, we've got so many problems, so many difficulties, and so much suffering that we, we can't find the way to cope with it all. And so when we can't cope with it, the escape we choose is to kill ourselves, just to be rich and have a lot of material possessions doesn't help us solve the problem. It just causes more hunger, more thirst, and increases our misery. And so we just kill ourselves. That's the only way that people find to deal with the situation. This is the gift of all this civilization and progress. The gift of this civilization is, is suicide. These people who commit suicide are spiritually crazy. They're spiritual lunatics. They kill themselves because they've got too much love, too much hate, too much lust, too much anger, too much fear, too much excitement, too much envy, too much jealousy, too much worry. They've got way too much of all these things. And so they're spiritually crazy. And they're so crazy that they get their satisfaction out of killing themselves. This, this cleverness and the smarts that we, we honor so much nowadays, 
this this is something that ends up getting crazier and crazier. This cleverness that's so important to people nowadays, this cleverness that they teach us in the schools and universities, is the kind that that turns out that ends up crazy. It it doesn't really have an outlet. It doesn't really lead anywhere. And then once it it gets it reaches its dead end or gets backed into a corner, then it just goes crazy, and the result is often suicide. Or even if this in the so-called intelligence of modern man, it's really the same thing, and just ends up being a bunch of lunacy because it's unable to help us with the important things. This may sound strange to you, that intelligence can can be wrong. This is something that people haven't even thought of, which is quite a sad thing. People haven't realized that that there can both be correct intelligence and wrong intelligence. There can be wise intelligence and crazy, insane intelligence. We can use all this knowledge and learning and intellectual ability that is developed both in a, a useful, productive way, or we can use it in harmful, selfish ways. So you see very intelligent people who use their knowledge and intelligence to make, commit all kinds of crimes, to oppress other people, and do all kinds of disgusting things. Or intelligence can also be used to realize enlightenment, to become a perfected human being. Intelligence can go either way, correctly or, or ignorantly. If we, so we should learn what kind of intelligence is correct and be particularly interested in that kind and forget about all this intelligence which just turns us, just makes us crazy, which just increases and multiplies all the various bajaya, the various conditions which bring us suffering. Even the thing called religion is something that can go either way. Not very long ago, there were stories in the newspapers about a group, the, the temple church or something, where, where because of their beliefs and various conditions, they, they went and killed each other. Hundreds of them drank cyanide Kool-Aid and committed suicide. This is what happens with so-called intelligence. Even in the form of religion, this intelligence can go astray, can get further and further engrossed in things which just make us crazier and crazier. So even with the thing called religion, we need to be very careful to make sure it's a kind of intelligence that is of, of real benefit. Atamayata can help us to, to make the, help us to avoid this kind of intelligence which just makes us crazy. Let's go back to talk about civilization again. This civilization that we've got, it doesn't stop producing the conditions for suffering. It hasn't ended this proliferation of the causes 
of misery. Instead, it just creates more and more of the manufacturing and producing more and more causes and conditions and bhajaya for pain, misery, and dukkha. So obviously we can't rely on this civilization. It's not going to help us to stop the conditions for dukkha because it just creates more and more of them. So there's no way that we can depend on civilization. No matter, no matter if we get to the, the pinnacle, the highest level of civilization, no matter how high we go, we won't be able to enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God can't be, can't be reached by someone who is living on the highest levels of civilization. And the higher and higher it gets, the more impossible it is to realize the kingdom of God. Those of you who follow a religion that believes in a creator God of some sort, this, this civilization or this material progress that we have nowadays, there's no way that this civilization can bring us to a true experience of God. There's no way that we can realize the kingdom of God through all this material progress. And this is even more true for those religions that don't have such a thing as a creator God, for the evolutionist religions rather than theistic religions, the evolutionist religions like Buddhism. These, it's even more clear that this civilization, this material progress, won't help us to realize the, the, supreme, the supreme reward in life, the supreme goal. Instead, all this material progress just takes us further and further away from the, the purpose and meanings of our lives. So, when it comes to religious matters or spiritual matters, this civilization is, is just about worthless. It, in fact, it gets in our way more than anything else. You ought to know that the, the highest kind of person in Buddhism the highest level of, 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 of a person can reach in Buddhism is that of the arahant, the, the worthy one, or the perfected human being. The arahant is a being whose, whose mind cannot be touched or concocted by any conditions. It's above all these various concoctions and conditions that we've talked about. And so it remains un, unconcocted, unconditioned by all these things. This is the highest perfection of the human heart. The highest kind of person or the highest kind of individual is the, the arahant. And the highest dhamma, the highest level of nature is nibbana. Nibbana is the condition or state of, of the mind or which the mind knows or realizes when nothing is concocting or conditioning the mind. When nothing is cooking up and stirring up, concocting the mind, 
That mind is cool. It's absolutely peaceful, calm, quiet, still. It has no problems, no troubles. Nothing disturbs it or darkens it. This is the mind that is absolutely free from dukkha. This, this state where there is no concocting of the mind, no, no conditioning of the mind, this is the highest thing, the thing that we call nibbana. The ordinary common fixter, the ordinary human being, is one whose mind is constantly being cooked up and stirred up by various causes and conditions. The ordinary fixter's mind is full of all this concocting. A slightly and then a somewhat better level of humanity are those where the attachment to things is significantly lessened. And so there's only a little of this concocting remaining where the mind is only somewhat stirred up by causes in conditions. And then the highest level of humanity or perfected humanity is that of Arahant, where, where nothing is stirring up the mind, nothing concocts the mind. The mind is completely above all these causes and conditions which create so much havoc in the mind of the ordinary fixter who we see running around all over the place. As for these common fixtures, the, the, the woman in the street, the man in the road, most of them, their minds are just about full of craziness. You can, you can take a look for yourselves and see to what extent their lives are just full of craziness, running here, running there, constantly running back and forth, their minds being stimulated by all kinds of things, always running, never, never able to stop and and relax and really and take a true rest. They only rest when they're too exhausted to keep running. These are the, the ordinary fixtures whose minds are constantly being stimulated by all kinds of strange and wonderful conditions which we, we proliferate in this world. And so their minds are always cooking up all these kinds of different things. And so they, they get lost in all these conditions and concoctions of their minds. When this is the situation, if you look, you, you wonder whether how much humanity is really there. The word human being in Pali is manutsaya, which literally means lofty-minded or high-minded, to have a mind, a heart that's above all these troubles, problems, and conditions. And if we see these people running around trapped within these conditions, then it's, you have to wonder how much humanity is really there in these ordinary stimulated lives. But then if we can understand this point and begin to get free of all this concocting of the mind, then it's, it's possible to, to go up a level or up a few levels or many levels and and become more and more human to increase our humanness by more and more having a mind that is
free of all these conditions, which keeps the ordinary person constantly running. Now let's let's look at how this all has to how this is all related to the practice of anapanasati. If you are successful in your practice of the the first the first stage of anapanasati, that is the first four steps which are concerned with the body, where you study the breathing, the kinds of breathing, their effects on the body, and then learn to to calm that breathing and calm the body thereby. In being successful at this, then we will develop quite a bit of mental power and a, a very high efficiency in our ability to to raise the mind above all these, over the power of all these conditions to concoct it. For successful in practicing just this first stage of mindfulness with breathing, the mind has quite a bit of ability and strength in which to climb out of all this conditioning and concocting. We're successful in the, the second stage of anapanasati, that is the four steps concerned with the vetana, the feelings. Then we'll be able to control all feelings so that they can no longer concoct the mind. These feelings are very important because normally when the mind makes contact with ordinary conditions, then it reacts to these with feelings, sometimes positive feelings, sometimes negative feelings, and other times in between or uncertain feelings. And because of the powers of these feelings, sometimes the mind becomes stupid in a positive way. And other times it's a a negative kind of stupidity. But whatever these feelings are always pulling the mind off into foolishness and into craving, attachment, and suffering. These feelings allow conditions to concoct the mind in very powerful ways. And if we don't understand this, then we'll always be a slave to these feelings and the conditions which, which caught lead to them. So this points to the importance of understanding the feelings and getting them under control, which is what we'll be able to do if we're successful in practicing the second stage of anapanasati. If we consider this in the most detailed way on the most profound, the deepest, the most subtle level, then we will see that every problem that exists in this human world has the vetana, the feelings, as their cause. All the problems that we human beings experience have vetana at their root. This is because human beings have no ability to control these feelings and so allow them to concoct the mind in all kinds of different ways, leading to all kinds of greed, anger, delusion, all kinds of selfishness and suffering. If we understand this point, if we look very carefully, then we'll see the imperative to 
understand the Vetana and be able to control them so they can no longer concoct the mind. If, if all of humanity were able to do so, if all human beings could control the Vetana, then all our problems would cease. Remember that when we use this word feelings, we, we don't mean the emotions. We're talking about the much more subtle mental activity that in Pali is known as Vetana. And these, these feelings, if you, we ask that you, you remember, we, we beg, we plead that you remember this, this one sentence about the Vetana. If you can control the Vetana, you can control the whole universe. If you can control the Vetana, these feelings, you can control the entire universe. It's a short sentence. You ought to be able to remember it. Then one more sentence, but first let us assure you that we're not trying to tease you about your own religion or make fun of, of your, your God or whatever. But if we can control the Vedana, then we will be out from under the control of God. If we can control the Vedana, then we will be free of the control of God. We're not trying to make fun of anything, but this is a fact which you ought to know. Let's stress it. We're not, we're not trying to insult or make fun of or belittle or any God or any religion that believes in a God or any person who has such beliefs. We're not making fun of anything, but this is a truth, a fact, that we feel it's our duty to inform you. We're not, we're not making fun of, of anyone's beliefs. We're just trying to state the facts. Now, we're all slaves to the, these feelings, these vetana. We do all kinds of things in order to get the vetana we like, that we want, and we do a whole bunch of other things trying to get rid of and avoid the vetana that we, we don't like, that are unpleasant for us. Because the vetana have the power to make us do so many different things, the fact that so much that our life is just a bunch of running after certain vetana and running away from other vetana, this, this shows very clearly that our lives are just slavery to these vetana. The meaning of slavery here is that these feelings are able to concoct the mind. They have this power to concoct the mind and we're unable to control it. This, this is the importance of, of raising the mind above the power of these feelings to concoct it anymore. The next is the third stage, or tetrad, of mindfulness with breathing, which in Pali is known as jitanu patsana, the contemplation of the mind, of the heart. In practicing this stage of anapanasati, the mind is able to, we are able to be, we're able to have the mind completely under control, so that the mind 
is no longer concocted in any way. Having the mind under control means that it is always in a state that is proper, is correct, where nothing is stirring it up or conditioning it in any way. This is the the benefit of practicing the third stage of anapanasati successfully. When we can do this, then the mind is pure, it's spotless, it's free of the power of anything to condition it. Anything positive or negative that comes by can be refused, can be negated, can be by this mind. Although this mind still lives, this is still a living mind, it is completely free of the power of all these things, of all these many positive and negative conditions to to concoct it. This is the mind that is liberated through success in practicing the third stage of anapanasati. This very excellent thing can be achieved, this liberation of the mind. And then the fourth stage of anapanasati is called Dhammanu Patsana, the contemplation of Dhamma. Here Dhamma means all things. All things includes both the the ordinary positive and negative things and then also that which transcends positive, the positive and the negative. This is the Dhamma which is contemplated and then understood in this fourth stage. When when this is understood, when all things, when all conditioned and unconditioned things are understood, then we know that there's nothing anywhere or ever could be anything which we can attach to and cling to as I or mine. There's absolutely nothing that can be regarded as I or mine, as me or myself. And with this, this understanding regarding everything, when the mind is absolutely clear on this point, then Adamayada is complete and perfect. This knowledge of Adamayada will be will be perfected through this fourth stage of Anapanasati. This is the 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 specialness or the excellence of this this stage of our practice. <clears throat> so in summary all four stages of anapanasati are a tool for us to realize the completion, the perfection of atamayata. These four stages of mindfulness with breathing practice will allow our mental life our, and our spiritual life to be completely free of the power of anything to concoct it. And then there is the knowledge of atamayata to not be concocted by any condition ever again. This non-concoctability of the mind can be realized using anapanasati as a tool. So this is the benefit of atamayata, non-concoctability. And on this note, we will end, we ask that we end today's lecture.